That is a great question. I'm really glad you're here as we launch into this new series, What is Worship? And sometimes that topic itself can just feel like otherworldly and ethereal. And so I want to start with a story about a friend here at Grace Church, Sandy Scott. Sandy Scott, single lady who worked for most of her career in the court system of uh, Cuyahoga County, which is where I got to know her because I was there dozens of times. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, and, but Sandy was just this very sweet lady, prayer warrior, and master encourager. That's a picture of her there in the middle with Joanne and Drew Ilner, who are some of the international workers uh, sent out from Grace. And so uh, Sandy has just been this, you know, wonderfully faithful servant of Jesus. I say she was an encourager and a prayer warrior because yesterday uh, Sandy met Jesus face to face that after some days of hospitalization, that uh, she succumbed to those issues, and she was conscious up until hours before her passing, welcomed some people from Grace who came and read Scripture with her and prayed. Sandy would uh, send me emails, and here's one that she wrote the day before my mom died last year. She wrote this, Dear PJ, and then she just writes a prayer. Dear Heavenly Daddy, that's how she addressed the Lord in most of her letters or prayers. Thank you for loving and holding my family in your peaceful arms as they go through the, this period of life. She, she, was, she viewed the Grace family as that was her family. And she included me in that. Thank you for your strength to cope with possible life changes and that you will be there to meet all needs and direct their ways. Thank you for your loving kindness that is so needed. Thank you, Lord, for being our everything, 24-7, 365, no matter what we are going through. You are awesome, and we love and praise you as you carry out your plans. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, Sandy. That was Sandy. And I'm gonna miss her. You know what I thought about yesterday? was I thought about Sandy meeting Jesus face to face. I thought, well, what was that like? And I imagine the moment that she met Jesus, there was dancing and tears of joy and hugs and, and that Sandy, if I could think of Sandy, I think Sandy after doing her, you know, she loved the dance, she probably just was like, Jesus, Jesus, and, and just thanking him. Jesus, for all of your grace in my life, for the comfort you gave through the hard times, for, for making me a new person, for the life of your spirit within me. Sandy overflowed, and she just, she worshiped Jesus. And I just wonder, what was that encounter like? Friends, as, as you and I gather today, as we go through our week, we can have a foretaste of what Sandy encountered with Jesus yesterday in in our own experience, that we get a foretaste of what it will be like today, that that's our heart. Even as we gather to worship, that we're saying, Lord, for all that you've done for me, thank you. I, I do need you now. Our prayer, our heart is that people will encounter God in our worship here. In fact, it's one of the, when we get comments, we send out these first impression car, you know, surveys and people respond, and, and so many 
say something like this one that I got right here. This person was a couple weeks ago, and maybe you're here today and you wrote this, said, I was surprised at how much the music affected me. I cried through the service. The people at Grace seem to be there because they want to be, and not because they are afraid of going to hell for missing mass. I truly felt like we were praising God and not robotically going through motions. I, I love reading that. I think there is a person who's going, I sensed God in some way. And so whether it's at uh, Olmsted Falls campus or if it's a Middleburg campus or the Lorraine campus that we say, Lord, together as we gather, we gather because of you. Like it's, it's, it's not about like, did they sing the songs I like or was it too warm or too cold or, you know, what is she wearing that for today? <laughs> It's first of all, Jesus, it's all about you. Like we're, 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 we're gathered here because of you. His heart is that you and I will be worshipers. And so from the beginning of scripture to the very end, he made us to just honor him, to bring glory to him. At the very end, when we're in heaven, it's gonna be we're, our, just the way we live and we, we're just gonna have, it's gonna be amazing. And we're gonna say, God, we're enjoying you. We're seeing you in all of your greatness. I can tell you what, it's not gonna be boring and you're gonna be thrilled that you're there if you're prepared to go. God, would you make us worshipers? The word comes from an old English word, at least the word worship in English, from a word called worth-ship. Would you say that with me aloud, ready? Worthship. In other words, it means you're ascribing worth to something or someone that is like, wow, right? So you're watching the Olympics and you see someone do this thing on skates that, you know, I would just do in my dreams and not even then, I'd probably break an ankle in my dreams, but I, and you just go, that is amazing. That person, like you ascribe worth to what they've accomplished. And, the, and when we come as believers in Jesus, more than anything, we just go, Lord, we ascribe worth to the God who has no beginning and no ending, who's never broken a promise, who's powerful, who never sleeps or slumbers. He, he, he never grows tired or weary. We have this great God and we go, Lord, I just, you're, you're worthy, you're worth it. Whatever I do for you, Lord, I, I honor you. Lord, I give you the worth that you're so deserving of. We do that when we gather here uh, at any one of our camp. Whenever you go to a church gathering, you're saying, Lord, if, if your name is being honored, your word is being taught, we believe that this is a gathering for us to worship. But it's not only when we gather together. Worship is not simply a church service kind of deal. It's something that we can do really all the time. Let's say that you're a parent, you're in that season of life, and, and you're reading a book to your child, playing catch or something like that, one of those activities you see there. Uh, you have a choice. You can do it and say, well, you know, she's gone today, you know, their kid's mom, so I gotta do it, or you do it out of obligation, or I mean, I guess I am the dad or mom or whatever. Or you can say, no, no, I, Lord, Everything I do, everything I do, you said I can do for you. And so, Lord, I'm doing, I'm going to read this book to this child you've entrusted to me that's going to grow up so fast. I'm going to be a listening ear for my, anybody have teenagers here? I'm just going to have a prayer time right at the front here at the end for, for you. And, and, uh, and, but you, you're listening ears. Maybe they're doing some of that kind of stuff in their life. That you're just, I'm going to be the loving, stable, 
grace-filled parent, God, would you help me to worship you by the way I parent? Colossians 3, when it says, whatever you do, do it with all your what? All your heart as working for the Lord, not for people. So in other words, if you have a boss right now that you're not really fond of, just sort of say in your heart, not to that person, but <laughs> you're not really my boss. Did you know that? But you can say in your head, in your heart, this is not ultimate. My ultimate boss is none other than the King of kings and Lord of lords. What I do, I do for him. If you're in medicine and you're taking, you're interacting with patients, you're going, God, I'm doing this for you. I'm not just doing this for a paycheck or to get to the weekend or, God, this, this what I, as I go to work today, this is my act of worship for you, Lord. That this person is made in your image. You, you came and you died for them. You rose again. You, you want them to be in your family. And so, Lord, today as I interact with customers and with employees and with whoever, Lord, help me to honor you. That May this be part of my worship because you're worth it. You're worthy. That's God's heart for us. He wants you and me to be Worshippers. So in this four-part series, what we're going to do is this. We're going to see, first of all, how God made us to be worshipers. It's just, it's just at our core, that's how we were created. It's not a matter of if, but a matter of what or who we worship. We'll talk about that in a second. Next week, we're going to see why he's so deserving of our worship. The next week after that, we're going to talk about how do we approach him? Like, what, what kind of people is he looking for? And then the last week's going to be, how do you worship 24-7? So today, let's launch in by turning in your Bible to Matthew 26, and uh, first book of the New Testament. If you don't have a paper Bible, your Bible app on your phone, that's great. It's a free, awesome app, and there are notes that maybe you picked up on your way in at the tables right by the doors. If not, just go to our website, gracecma.org, and you'll see it says notes, and you can just click on, you'll see all the passages we're going to mention here. And, and we have a Bible reading plan. We just read this a few weeks ago. We're going through the New Testament this year as a church family. And if you'd like to uh, check that out, it's, again, it's free and you can do it online. And we have a, a social media a couple times a week. Some very staff members of Grace are making a few comments just like a minute long about the passage. And welcome again to those of you engaging uh, online, whether you might be in another part of the world or Ohio our Olmstead uh, friends and Lorraine, we're just, we're really glad to be uh, looking into God's word uh, together. Before we do that, uh, let's just, let's pray, okay? Lord, we offer you our hearts right now. Make them soft for the seed of your word. Give us ears to hear what you're saying and shape us to be more and more the people you want us to be. Lord, you know what our week was like, some of the highs, the lows, things that went really well, things that didn't. And Lord, you know the times that we didn't live up to what we know would have been your desires for us. And for those times that we've not yet made right with you, Lord, we ask your forgiveness. Cleanse us, Lord. Make us new from the inside out. Thank you that Jesus, because of your blood shed on the cross, that we can be just as clean and pure as you are. Amazing. 
that your holiness and righteousness, righteousness becomes ours. So we just by faith accept that and pray that in these moments that as we just consider what your word says, Lord, help us to be those who you look at and just go, that's a worshiper. Lord, may that be me and all of us, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So Matthew here, Matthew 26, tells a historical account about an individual who has an act of worship that is still being told around the world, and Jesus said it would be. And, and he looks at this act of worship, and he's so moved by it that I think it's a great play for, place for us to start and to say, Lord, I, I want to be this kind of person. So let's read what happens here in Matthew 26, verse 6. It says, while Jesus was in Bethany, that's just outside of Jerusalem, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which he poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they weren't happy, indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a what? A beautiful thing. Hold on to that one. She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial, which was really just going to be about a week later. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let's not miss this. Jesus is really moved by what she did. He probably ate in the homes of dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of people. He had all kinds of encounters, but he said, this is one that will always be remembered. This is a beautiful thing. Now, if we're really transparent, we might go, it might be beautiful, but it's a little bit strange too. When's the last time you were at a gathering with friends, someone's house, and you're sitting at the table and you're eating your ice cream, and someone comes up behind you, and all of a sudden you feel this like dripping all the way down your head. And you're like, what, what is that? And you realize, you, and you're like, that is cologne or perfume. And you look and you, what do you say? You're like, get away from me, right? Well, what are you doing? Like, when is the last time that happened to you? Maybe, it probably hasn't happened in at least two or three months to you, right? No, no, you've probably never, never seen that, right? So why would she do that? Because in that day... When you traveled, you weren't in your, you know, Toyota or Ford. You were, you were walking through these manure, you know, infested streets. And so you'd get to someone's house and they would take off your sandals and they would wash your feet. And then they might give you some lotion. And then if you were a really like VIP kind of guest, they might do what she did and they would put this perfume. But this wasn't any old perfume, you know, that she ordered on Amazon, some knockoff kind of deal. This was like probably a family heirloom. How much have you made in the last year? You don't have to say it out loud. But, uh, or if you're retired, how much did you make in your last year of employment? Think of the entire amount of your year's wages and say, what if I bought some perfume or cologne that cost that amount? First of all, you go, I, I don't think I would ever do that. Then imagine using it all, once this flask was broken, this jar, 
that was it. Like this was a one-time kind of deal. So she took tens of thousands of dollars in today's money and she, and we learned something. First of all this, that worship is valuing something or someone above all else. Listen, we, we, we may not, we probably will not offer perfume to Jesus or cologne. Uh, he, he's not with us in that kind of physical sense, but, but, but do we value him like that? Do we treasure him like this, this individual did? I mean, Jesus is deeply moved. You see, whether we accept it or not, we are all worshipers of something. You and I are made to worship at the core of who we are. We're worshipers at heart. Our love and a focus are going to be given to something. Let's, let's go over to our uh, flip chart here. Some of you were very excited to see another Picasso this morning. If anybody's been here for a while, you know, John is terrible. Let me ask what, what you think this is, right? What, is this, what does this look like right here? A donut, right. I've consumed so many of them. I'm actually pretty good at that. And, uh, and, and this donut, I'm actually going to do two, but we'll start with that one. One of these represents your life. And so our lives, we sort of break up into areas, you know, and we, we say, I've got my job. I've got my friends. I've got, I've got my money. I, I have my, my, my goals. You know, we have various gifts like ho our hobby, that things we enjoy doing with sex. All the, you know, we have all, all kinds of things in our life that we could keep on saying. All these parts of, of what sort of constitutes who we are. For a Christian, at the core of our life is who? That's absolutely right. Is Jesus at the core of of our life. We, we would say, as a Christian, we'd say, my life revolves around my relationship with Jesus. He's not just a part of my life, he is my life. And, and, and he informs the way I interact with my friends, whether or not I take that, like I pray about if I should take that next job in the other city or that promotion, how I use the gift of sex, how much time do I invest in my hobby, what kind of goals do I have in life, how do, all of these things I come back and say, this is my relationship with Jesus. And a worshiper at the core has Jesus at the very center. And so we would say this, we'd say, this is the heart of a worshiper, is to say, Jesus is at the core of my life. Now, there might be someone else who goes, well, my life is a little bit different. Uh, I don't really know that I believe that there is a God. It's a giant question mark for me. Not even sure there are gods. I don't really, and, and they still have the same, you know, uh, sections of life where they've got their, their friends and they have their job, you know, and they have, they, they have all the different gifts that, that we have in life and, you know, and we could, we could just keep on going and, and dividing up and saying uh, there's lots of sections. But Here's the reality what the Bible teaches about us. The throne is never empty. 
Would you say that with me aloud? You ready? The throne is never empty. Nobody has a godless life. You go, well, they're not sure there is a God. So what do they do? They take good things, all of these things, these are, these are not bad things, right? These are gifts from God. But they make these good things to become an ultimate thing. It's different for different people. Some might go, my job is everything. Another person goes, my fr- I live for my friends. There might be their family. You go, how can your family be a God? You know, you, you just... Your kids, it's, your life depends on your kids being hugely successful, getting to the right colleges, making it, because if your kids fail, you're a failure as a parent, and if they succeed, you're a success. And, and so your kids take the center place in your life to become your God. It could be anything. Taking good things and making them the ultimate thing. Someone might go over here, they go, oh, oh, I've got, there is a sliver of my life that is for God, but he becomes just that. He's just a part of my life. You know what Jesus says about those kind of people? He goes, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is what? Far from me. You, you have God in your life. You, you might look like you're a follower of Jesus, but your heart is actually, he's not in the, the core. He's not in the throne of your life. These people worship as well. We just call it something different. We call it what? Idolatry. Idolatry is worship of a different kind of God. In fact, in the New Testament says, some of you are marked by greed, like you just love to have stuff, which is idolatry. So which one of these more accurately represents your life? The heart of a worshiper is one who says, Jesus, you're everything to me. And no sacrifice is too great. And when you put your trust in Christ, you, it's the next point, you reprioritize, you reorient your life around your relationship with Jesus. You guys can put up that next point there. That, that Jesus becomes um, everything to you, your greatest treasure. Some might go, well, how, how do you know which one of these is? There's, there's a phrase here that is helpful, and it's, and it's that it can take, help us take inventory. For to me, to live is, anybody remember who said that first? The Apostle Paul, yeah. He said, for to me, Philippians chapter 1, to live is Christ, it's Jesus. How, how would you fill in that blank? Maybe let's ask this question. How would somebody who observes your life for a week, how would they fill that blank in for you? For you to live, I've, I've been watching, and for you to live... Man, it's, it's your hobby. Like, it consumes you. It's your focal point. I mean, you've got time for these other things, but at the end, that hobby, or, or maybe it's one of these other things. Good things, 
that had become an ultimate thing. For a follower of Jesus, we would say, for to me, to live is Christ. It's the heart of a worshiper, right? And we say, Jesus, ultimately, it's, it's all about you. What else do we learn about worship from her encounter? Not only did she offer something extraordinarily valuable, which then was an indicator of that Jesus was, was everything, was the core of her life, and that she reoriented her life around him, but also worship cares most about the opinion of one person, and his name is, is Jesus, right? Have you ever had somebody criticize you for the way that you worship, or maybe you've looked at someone and you know, they're waving their hands in the air, you know, and you know, or you see tears coming down, or they're kneeling down, you're like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe they're so emotional, you know, or whatever, and, and you find yourself criticizing, or in this case, maybe like this person, you're like, I just heard the gift that they gave, and that's like outrageous, I can't believe I'm, you know, they, the generosity, and they, they do something like that, and, and they're, if you've ever been criticized for the way that you worship, you're in some good company because it happens here. Um, Jesus' own disciples. It's not like people on the outside. It's people on the inside. And, and listen to what they say, verse 8. We're going to read this again. It says, when the disciples saw Jesus, they were in, or saw this, this gift, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. I mean, even they have like, you know, they act like they have these, you know, charitable motives, justice, you know, who's against helping those in need? Listen to what Jesus says in verse 11. Why are you bothering her? This woman has done a what? A beautiful thing. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. Let me just be clear. It's not that Jesus didn't care about the poor. Jesus talked a lot about the poor. What he's saying here is this. He's affirming the extravagant worship of Mary. She wasn't spending this money on herself. She wasn't pouring the perfume on her own head. She was saying, Jesus, you are everything to me. And he just recognized she's, she's overwhelmed at the thought of who Jesus was. And he knew he was calling out the duplicity of his followers because if you read this account in the perspective of John chapter 12, really Judas wanted the money not for the poor but for whom? He, he wanted it for himself because just after this, he goes out and collects some money in order to betray Jesus. Mary worships anyhow. And Jesus says her act of worship is going to be declared in languages and nations around the world. If it's all about Jesus and his opinion matters most, then you're willing to say, Jesus I'll, I'll worship you and let my heart be free as I tell you how much I love you. No matter if I'm criticized or what may happen. And can I just speak a word here? Does anybody here know someone who believes they have the spiritual gift of criticism? Anybody know someone like that? And they just like, they're really good at it. Like they practice the gift all the time. They're like, some people are encouragers, some of the gift of administration, some leadership, some of the gift. I have the gift of criticism. And, and it's, if that just so happens to be you, can I, can I just tell you, 
If Jesus were in the room physically, you could see him and he was speaking, he might issue a rebuke. I don't want it to be me and I don't want it to be you. Let's be really careful of how the enemy uses criticism as a tool to stifle the worship of Jesus' followers. Just one more big point here. Worship implies that the object of our worship is worth it, right? I mean, this woman's willing to spend tens of thousands of dollars in one encounter to say, Jesus, I love you. I, I just, I am so grateful for what you've done. I mentioned that this account uh, seems to have a parallel in John chapter 12. It seems to be the same thing. And in that account, John chapter 12, the woman is identified as Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, if you remember the guy who was called out from the dead. And, and, and she has been transformed by Jesus, just like unbelievable mercy, amazing grace. And her heart is just singing, and, and she just can't help herself but to go, he is so worthy. When I think of what he's done in my life, his forgiveness and and, the, and his friendship and all that he's done, I, I just, I owe my life. It was like a rational, reasonable response. Do you know that the Apostle Paul says something very similar in Romans chapter 12? Romans is like a microcosm of the Bible. It starts off with the problems that, you know, we, what's wrong with the world, you know, and it's basically we turn our backs on God and and, and it says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's standard, his glory. Like, we're all messed up. And if we don't get help for that, the wages of our sin is what? Is death. Like, we're, we're toast. But the gift of God that he offers freely by grace is eternal life, right? So that whoever, Romans chapter 10, confesses with their mouth Jesus is Lord, believes in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you put your trust in him, that you'll be saved. And so what he's saying is this. He's saying, now in Romans chapter 12, he's going, you know what? In light of all that Jesus has done for you, here's what he says. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of, what does the other section there say? All he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to do what? To worship him. You know what he's saying? He's going to light of all Jesus has done for you. He doesn't deserve just a sliver of your life. He deserves what? All of your life. All of your life. He says, in light of what he's done for you, you, you owe him everything. You need Jesus to be at the core of your life to be able to say, for to me, to live is Christ. And friends, that's the heart of a worshiper. To say, Lord, you're not a part of my life or out of my life. Or my... You are my life. Colossians chapter, when Christ, who is your life, that, this is the heart of a worshiper. It's not a matter of, do I worship? It's a matter of, what or who I worship, Right? We're all worshipers. We're worshipers at heart. And friends, when we consider who our Savior is, like he's, he's God Almighty, the maker of the heavens and the earth, 
of everything good. He has no beginning and no ending, so he's called the Alpha and the Omega. How can we even comprehend a God who, who has no birth date and no end date? Who never grows tired or weary, it says in Isaiah 40, is understanding no one can fathom. And he's always good. He's never broken a promise. He's never failed. He's never messed up one time. And that same God then came into our world to offer his life for us. And when the moment that we trust in him, he comes and he forgives us and adopts us and fills us and blesses us with every spiritual blessing and makes our lives count and then gives us a, a, a reservation with Sandy and so many others in our eternal home that's gonna be absolutely stunning. And what else can we do for a God like that but say, God, you're worth it. You're worthy, right, of, of everything that I could offer you. When we offer God different parts of our life, we go, okay, Lord, I'm being pretty generous with you. Friends, if someone gave their life for you, you would do what? You would say, I owe you everything. Especially if their giving of their life saved you from the eternal consequences of your sin. That's why the story of Mary is still being told around the world. The message is clear. Nothing given to Jesus in love is ever wasted. Would you say that one with me aloud? You ready? Nothing given to Jesus in love is ever wasted. He's so worth it, isn't he? So here's my question. Don't you want it to be said of you that Jesus, when he sees your worship, would say, that's, that's beautiful. That, that, that is worship. That is from the core of who you are. You get it. Don't you want to be a worshiper like that? He's looking for worshipers. May it be us, me, and you. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And there's something sometimes about physical posture. You know, in the Bible, they raise their hands, they kneel, they fall down on the floor. But I wonder if you would just put your arms out in front of you, palms up. And, and can, can I just lead us in a prayer? Jesus, you are the king of kings and Lord of lords. I just surrender to you, Jesus, right now. I offer you not a part of my life. I offer you all of my life. Lord, I, I want you to have every part of me. To be at the core of my life and to inform, Lord, every moment that I live, it'd be about you. For to me, to live is Christ. It'd be you. And Jesus, that my life would be an expression of worship here in the corporate gathering of your followers, Lord, when I spend time with people later today, Lord, I would do it as an act of worship when I go to work, when I, Lord, whatever I do, that I just go, Lord, this is, this is part of my worship to you. So, Lord, I invite you, come into my life, Holy Spirit, fill me in a fresh way, and may I be the kind of worshiper who brings great joy to your heart. Help me to face any criticism with an eye beyond it to see your approval and to know it's ultimately about you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. And everyone said,
Amen. Amen.